Welcome to the Compass Podcast. Today, we are joined by Upstream Data President Steve Barber. Steve recently penned an interesting and provocative article entitled An Elephant in the Grid, making the case for small distributed mining farms over the multi-megawatt mines popping up in Texas and elsewhere. This podcast is presented ad-free by Compass Mining, the largest marketplace for Bitcoin mining. Check out compassmining.io today if you want to buy, sell, or host an ASIC. And now, onto the show. Steve, welcome back to the pod. How you doing? Doing great, Will. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I appreciate your time. You published this new blog post and in true barber fashion, you got a few eyeballs on it and it's a, it's a good read. So I'd get everyone, everyone go and, and read this, maybe even pause the podcast and go, go and read it. We'll include it in the show notes. So you'll be able to just click right into it. Essentially, the, the conversation is uh, should these mega mines exist? And we're talking about the huge facilities that are dozens of megawatts, even uh, into the triple megawatts, like the Riot facility down uh, Windstone. Uh, there's a bunch of huge deployments coming down in West Texas. It's the, the Trump huge there is definitely coming along in Bitcoin. And it might not be good for the grid. And it might not be, well, it's probably good for the grid. It might not be good for Bitcoin. So maybe we can start off there, just a quick introduction into your argument of why. Uh, mega mines might be a folly. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was when I posted that, I got a little bit of feedback online, um, some very quick reactions. Uh, let's say to some people from some people like I, I respect a lot, so it it sort of upset me. Uh, a few of them when they reacted the way they did, because <clears throat> they clearly didn't read it uh, or read it thoroughly. Um, because I'm not really, if you read the article, uh, what I call it, I called it. Uh, an elephant in the grid. I'm basically talking about these mega miners and just, you know, I'm an engineer, right? So all I care about, uh, I have an engineering mind, I should say. So all I care about is efficiency, like what, how to do things better. And I also, as a Bitcoiner, um, I think a lot about Bitcoin security, uh, certainly what's been going on in Bitcoin a lot lately, like regulatory uh, all this sort of rising regulatory tension, especially in Bitcoin mining, right? Um, you know, all these things that are slowly creeping in, like uh, KYC, like OFAC compliance, uh, different things that have been, you know, tabled and sort of, in a sense, threatened by regulators and all this stuff. So that's always on my mind. And um, the big miners, uh, you know, I use Riot blockchain. I, you know, I wasn't wasn't targeting them, but I use them because they're the most famous of them all. Like they're, they're huge. They got an awesome facility. Like it really is awesome. Uh, I haven't been there, but it's, I've seen enough uh, marketing and pictures of it. So I use them because everyone's familiar with them, but I mean, it would, the same arguments, the arguments I make would apply, uh, to any of these big miners. So, yeah, I did point out, you know, the, the, there's sort of two things I was trying to point out. I was trying to point out one, you know, it was a commentary on are the big mines um, uh, a good thing for Bitcoin in the sense that, like, is this the optimal approach? Like, if you're a third party with a lot of capital deploy, is this the optimal approach? And of course, I didn't get into all the pros and cons of doing like a big mega mine versus distributed mining on the grid because you can do it in one big location, which is something I'm a little uh, skeptical of on the security side of Bitcoin, like, is this good for regular, like, is this a good thing for Bitcoin security? Like, is native security, like, you know, mining attacks? 
Um, and, and is it also good for sort of, it, it sort of feeds into this regulatory pressure that's coming in. And so I was sort of criticizing it that way. Um, but from an engineering standpoint, there's, there's other criticisms as well. And so maybe just starting with the engineering ones, the point I was trying to make is like, you know, and, and I guess I look at this from a perspective as someone that's doing the same thing, but in a smaller way, a distributed way, uh, people say, you know, I'm an off grid shill, you know, like I I'm, I'm anti on grid. I'm not at all anti on grid. I build mines for grid miners. Like I, more and more actually as our product gets better and better um which it continues to do um and people start to like our product more and more uh we're selling more and more to grid miners so i'm not at all attacking grid mining and that that was one thing uh uh some people online that that read about it and and some people listening to this now might have might have uh, had that impression so i'm not attacking riot not attacking marathon or any of the other big guys in the sense that you know, you shouldn't be on the grid. It's nothing like that at all. Um, in fact, I think everyone mining is a net benefit. So the from an engineering uh, standpoint, uh, some of the points I made were, I believe to be true. And that is, if you are going to deploy a large amount of power uh, in an effort to, you know, what is being marketed as grid balancing, like flexible response, flexible loads, like Bitcoin mining being a computational load, being a very big power draw, which in certain circumstances can just switch off, you know, in an instant or or turn down in an instant or turn up in a very short amount of time. And all of that is good for the grid because you have this, what people say essentially is a buyer of last resort. And should something happen, like famously in Texas, uh, when they get a little cold uh, storm come through, everything shuts down because it's not built for that. I, I say that mockingly because I'm Canadian and, and our grids are uh, clearly built for brutal winters. But I mean, that's just the nature of anything, right? Like you have, if you're in a climate, like in Canada, if we had a brutal heat wave come through, like a Texas caliber heat wave and a, and a long-term heat wave, our grid would not be able to handle it. The air conditioners would be going through the roof. It would It would just not be set up properly. So it's not a criticism on Texas uh, infrastructure. It's just, you know, once in a while, these upset, in, in engineering, we say these upset conditions happen. And so, yeah, Bitcoin mining is a flexible load is great for that. My criticism is like, well, is this is building these monster firms the best actual application of this? And my argument is that it's not. And partly because, uh, and this is where there's obviously nuance, because if you're a third party investor, uh, whether you're Riot, who I used in the article, or you're some other third party, maybe you're, you're, you're government-backed or something, and you're trying to go improve the grid, it makes a lot of sense to do it in a big facility, uh, such as the Riot Windstone facility, uh, because you know the scope of the project is very narrow. It's very easy to manage, even though it's a big project. It's a difficult project, but it's still, you know, you're not you're not figuring things out all over the place and trying to balance things you know, everything at once. But one engineering criticism I had is, well, one problem with that is the further away you place um, a load to a generating point. So a power generations here, whether it's wind, solar, which need this kind of thing the most, right? Because they're variable and they don't have, they don't match demand. So they could be producing wind, uh, power when there's no actual demand for it. So the, the, the generation points such as wind and solar 
which do not follow demand, unlike something reliable like fossil fuels, like natural gas or, or coal specifically. Um, they need they need this more than anything. They need Bitcoin miners more than anything to help their projects uh, be able to sell power that they would normally curtail. And it'd be much better. My argument is that it'd be much better to distribute these. You know, if you have because I use I use Windstone. If that's 750 megawatts, at least for the grid's health standpoint, if this mine was actually distributed not at an interconnect, not at some a central point, but actually split up and spread to all the generating points that might feed that interconnect that would be a lot more efficient in terms of an engineering perspective and that's because uh transmission losses is just simple uh electrical engineering uh every time you move energy you lose some to the heat so you you lose uh obviously we run high voltage power lines so the current's less and then you lose less heat due to the i can't remember the uh, the property it's called, but the resistive heating aspect of running through a conductor. Uh, transformation, right? Like you transform power from a generating site, often it's transformed up to high voltage, so you have a loss in power there. It goes to, say, the big Bitcoin mine that's on a site, and then it transforms down, right? And you have heat loss there as well. So I sort of like, I threw in an arbitrary sort of like ballpark number, which is substantial, like I said, over 100 megawatts are being lost in heat generation. As opposed to if you could have that with all else being equal, being distributed upstream at the generating sites. But I wasn't trying to say that it wasn't a good project. I was saying that this is, at least there's nuance here, at least from when you're, when people in general and, and Bitcoiners in general are marketing Bitcoin as good for the grid. Well, it's optimal for the grid if the Bitcoin mines are right next to the generating points. That's where they should be because that's where you have the least amount of distance, the least amount of losses, uh, the least amount of infrastructure. And you're also not clogging up uh, the capacity that already exists on the grid because they would they always build grids with an overcapacity so that they can still build into it or they upsize it and stuff. And so my argument is that fundamentally, uh, these big miners, if, uh, you know, and, and that's where there's like, you know, I can't go and say, Oh yeah, the, the, these are bad projects. They should be just distributed to the upstream sources. Well, the fact is, upstream sources have different owners. Uh, not all of them want to get involved. They just want to sell their power like normal. So it's a completely different ballgame. But I, I was only trying to say that you know, in in a perfect world, the way you do this efficiently is you actually distribute the power to the generating point, and that's what we do in the oil field, right? Because in the oil field, you're, we're we're not generally feeding any grids or microgrids we're just feeding a facility which is right on site all of our bitcoin mines in the oil field because that's what my company specializes in is right at the generating source so there's almost well there's always some transmission loss but the transmission loss is minimal so you get if you could scale that to the grid and if the utility companies right like the generating companies and i don't know enough about texas but i bet you a lot of it's private and there's a lot of private generating businesses if they adopted Bitcoin for themselves, uh, the grid would be a lot better off than if we have to have, you know, call it just for lack of a better term, third party money come in and build these big mines. So that was like probably the main engineering criticism I had. Uh, it's, and that's all it was. It, that, that aspect of it was purely engineering, purely efficiency. Um, and it wasn't, uh, I certainly am not trying to tell anyone that 
uh, riot is bad for the grid or, or any of these big mines in Texas or in Alberta or in El Salvador that they're building are bad for the grid. They're definitely good for the grid. There's just, I think, a better way to do it. And that's what I think we should be striving for long term. And I think that is what's inevitably going to happen long term. Like it's, it's efficiency always wins, especially in Bitcoin mining. And I think you'll probably find that a lot of these generating stations that are feeding uh, downstream grid miners are eventually going to be like, well, especially as the market matures and it's a lot cheaper to get into uh, in terms of capital investment into mining, uh, they're just going to do it themselves. And then that'll end up cutting downstream out of the market just naturally. They'll have more power to give and less losses and all that stuff. Yeah, you mentioned it in the article that there's obviously some economies of scale around why people choose to make these mega mines. And there's also a bunch of efficiency changes that you generate when you choose to centralize in one place. Like the riot facility you mentioned is on an interconnect. So it just seems to be a good place to dump energy is my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, But if you do it your way, you're behind all these decentralized places, which upkeeping... 1200 or a bunch of mini mines all over the place whatever number you want to pick it's obviously a logistical nightmare compared to one central place uh so i'm curious to get your thoughts on that though no you're right uh, and that's why you know i i think i clarified when i wrote that thing like i was, wasn't saying uh this is wrong we should stop this i was saying that uh from a from the perspective of of just efficiency and grid efficiency this would be better applied uh at the generating points and that's the problem. If the generating point, whoever owns that point, isn't in, in, interested in like p- making that investment or working with someone making that investment, it's very difficult. And, and for a company like Riot, who has the capital to go build these big mines, um, they're doing it probably the best way they can. Like I'm not even saying they're not doing it the right way. Uh, if I was Riot and I had the probably in the billions of dollars, I'm guessing, uh, to build those mines... I'd probably do the exact same thing because you're, they have to build, uh, they want to build something they can control and not have a logistical nightmare. And they don't want to have to do write contracts for 1200 generating stations and every single owner of those stations. So it's more of a function of like, we're in a phase of Bitcoin where uh, we're still coming through, uh, like we're, we're coming through out of the centralized time and eventually into a decentralized time is the way I see it. And in this time, it makes sense, yes, for build these huge facilities. I think what you're going to see with these facilities, like if I'm going to make a prediction, is over the next 10 years, especially as this becomes more mainstream in the utility sector, in the generating sector, they're going to start doing it themselves and there'll be less power available downstream and therefore their prices will go up and they'll be priced out of the market. So it's purely a function of the cost, right? So later in the article, you talk about regulatory pressure which was definitely an interesting part of the article we can get to. But you think going forward that the reason we're going to have a decentralized Bitcoin mining network is because of utilities understanding that Bitcoin mining enables them to make more money. Yeah, you could say utilities. It could still be third parties. Like It still could be Will, Foxley, uh, Co., going and partnering with the uh this generating station like you have a buddy that owns that generating station and, and and you do a deal together and all of a sudden all that surplus that they have which you've done a deal behind the meter is no longer on the grid and it's going to affect the downstream side of things it's sort of like why, what's happening in oil field right now um it's still happening at small enough a scale where it's probably not being felt downstream but in oil field like 
a lot of this cheap natural gas that's been flooding, uh, you know, especially in Texas, like when they're when they're fracking and they have all that excess gas, the gas they are able to get into the system, like through a sales pipeline, is effectively, uh, you know, that gas is effectively subsidizing the price because it's a waste gas. Like it's, they're not drilling for that gas mainly; they're mainly drilling for the oil. As more and more Bitcoin miners keep moving upstream and uh, sort of why my company is called upstream data. Like we're, the best power, the best pricing is upstream. So as you're going upstream, you're cutting off the supply to the downstream miners in that sense. And so I see, I see the mature phase of Bitcoin mature being say a hundred years from now. Uh, I don't know how long it takes to get totally mature. Maybe it's never totally mature, but say a hundred years from now, and this is just, you know, another thing like another, you know, uh, Bitcoin is just well-established and ubiquitous in the economy. It's all going to be, I expect most mining would be as close to the source as possible, but also you'll still have mining elsewhere, you know, turning on and off when the prices are right and stuff like that. And just keeping everything perfectly like free market in balance, like energy producer, energy consumer, which is an analogy of the market itself, right? There's, there's suppliers and there's consumers. And Bitcoin as a money does the same thing. It sort of just, it makes everything more efficient. Uh, mining makes everything more efficient on the actual power generation side of things. No, I thought your article came across loud and clear. I think that's just uh, the points people are making back at you or harping back at you. It's probably a function of people not reading closely. Uh, that's typically what I found for my past in journalism. More people than don't, people, <laughs> there's too many people, uh, Bitcoiners still on a fiat mindset, as I say, and they're, they're uh, high, oh, yeah. high time preference. They can't take the time to read a long article, right? So. Oh yeah, no way. No way you can do that. <laughs> so the, the second part of the article that was interesting to me was uh, actually a thought that you've been posting on Twitter and perhaps other articles that I haven't seen, but I wouldn't be shocked if you'd written on this in the past is that Bitcoin mining doesn't fix unreliable generation, uh, that you need more than Bitcoin mining to fix unreliable uh, power generation. And I want to throw that question back to you and say, like, what does need to happen? Does like a Bitcoin standard fix this? Or does it need to be like lobbying? Is it social awareness? Is it talking to energy providers? Uh, You had a short little quip within the article saying like, what fixes is just like stop using uh, <laughs> yeah. sources. So that's yeah. the short answer, but what's the longer yeah. answer to get us to a place where we're, we're building the correct things? Yeah. I mean, we live in a world right now where, uh, the economics of projects is skewed by subsidies, right? Like it's impossible to discern if a renewable project is actually, uh, as cost, it has a cost basis that it does because the entire, at this point, the entire upstream supply chain, there's this whole social uh, aspect of it where, you know, oh, you're building, oh, you're using coal in China to build a solar panel. Well, that's, you're building a green technology. So, you know, you don't have to pay carbon tax on that thing. Like there's, there's, there's these, um, call it subjective social credits and subsidies all through the supply chain. So it's, you know, everyone's always arguing like, because we're talking renewables here and how to, how to fix this renewable problem on the grid. Uh, people saying, well, you know, solar panel costs, look at it. The levelized cost is going down over time. Uh, the cost of the panel is going down over time, but yeah, sure. It is like the end user is paying that, but it's not accounting for the subsidies and those subsidies actually have a hidden cost, which is how are they funded? Which is usually taxation or signage, like, uh, effectively printing money. 
So it's not that easy to compare anything anymore because the market is so skewed. So to say like, oh yeah, like nuclear uh, over here, which most people will agree is like one of the cleanest forms of energy. It's hard to compare the true cost of that because there's so much red tape around getting it done, like getting a facility built, the bureaucracy, especially if you're in a country like Canada, like where you can't build anything, at least in Texas, like you guys, or I don't know if you're in Texas yourself, but in Texas and, and places like Texas where they respect business and free market and respect entrepreneurship, um, you can get things done more efficiently. The, the uh, renewables, like what fixes, See, like, if you were going to look at, like, because I use the Texas grid in that article because it's the most popular and, and, and it looks like by far the most investment is going into Texas right now, right? And so it's just a good example to use. And it's, it's a, what, I, what it looks to be a really efficient grid, although I do have some, uh, s- some concerns over some of it. But, like, the, you got wind in Texas, a, p- a fair bit of wind. I think there's over five gigawatts, maybe six, seven, maybe more. I don't know what the installed capacity is, but I was looking looking at some numbers. I think it's over five. I'm not a Texas grid expert. I'm just like I uh, was doing a bit of research. Can't be an expert got, on everything. It's okay. No, exactly. So there's there's lots of coal. There's lots and there's a bit of nuclear. I think there's uh, lots of natural gas. So you get a good mix, right? And my argument I've made for a couple of years now on the renewables because the renewables uh, mining has been a bit of a meme for a while. Like, oh, Bitcoin fixes renewables. Bitcoin incentivizes renewables, which I've argued against. Uh, Bitcoin is going to make a renewables uh, utopia, right? And we're going to get off fossil fuels and stuff. And I I would say that's all wrong. Like it doesn't really help renewables as much as people think uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and And without even like listening to me, if you just objectively look at it, how much activity is going on behind the meter with renewables? Versus how much activity is going behind, on beyond, uh, behind the meter with something like natural gas. Natural gas industry is absolutely erupting in Bitcoin mining right now. Not only from, you know, where our business is involved in it. So I have a bias, right? But I see my competitors sprouting up like, like, like you know, like they're all over the place. And, and there's, there's dozens every month, it seems like. And we got dozens of new inquiries every month. And this is all oil field applications. So there's an actual true market, a true objective uh, growing, like the forums on it are growing, the, the talk, the excitement around oil and gas, Bitcoin mining. Do you see that with renewables? Not really. The only ones you really see it with are big companies with big money. You don't see mom and pop jumping up all over the place like we see in, in oil and gas. I, I've personally seeded in the sense that either taught uh, through through helping or through selling a product and getting them started, seeded dozens of mom and pops in the oil and gas side. I haven't had one deal that I know of on the wind side that I know was put behind the meter. So that's one signal that there's a fundamental difference here and a disconnect. Bitcoin does not incentivize renewables. Um, what Bitcoin does do for renewables is, is when you have a renewable facility, like let's say a wind farm, which is if I, you know, I, if anything is, is more practical like than a solar farm. Um, say you have a wind farm, uh, Texas has plenty. Uh, you could uh, help those projects by putting Bitcoin mines behind the meter. 
um, and have them purely run off only generated wind power. So they, you know, because the nature of unreliable generation like wind and solar, you have to oversize it to meet your actual targeted demand. Like if your targeted demand is this forecast on grid, grid, uh, grid energy demand, you have no choice but to massively oversize the wind turbine capacity because the net, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the net capacity though, the net output, it, may, it might be like 30%. So you, you might have to build like, you know, triple of the total capacity that it can generate just to feed the base case. So then Bitcoin helps that a lot because you got, when the wind is blowing strong and you have all this surplus that might be getting curtailed or it might be causing uh, other uh, generating stations being arbitrarily shut down on the grid, which in its own right is not good because that has a lot of inefficiency. There's an article that just came out today. Um, I saw it in a Telegram chat. I can link it to you after this, but you can link to it. But they they were talking about these this solar and wind, I think it was in California, causing these natural gas power plants to have to spin down. But the nature of a spinning down an engine or a, a turbine, uh, which I've talked about in a different article, makes it inefficient. And so by doing that, you're actually wasting more for the power that it produces, you're wasting more energy. And this is energy like fossil fuel energy, like scarce energy that has what, you know, they count as emissions. So like there's there's this whole there's so much we could talk about on this topic, but then I guess the point is I would say that for existing installed capacity, Bitcoin helps that recover its investment helps it become a better payout a better project it does not really incentivize new capacity and it's and no one really should want it to because i think if you fundamentally look at these projects they're not as clean uh they're not as uh as as good as they're made out to be so in the sense of their environmental costs one follow-up on this you're you're well known for your your tweets, which will at the very least keep you away from uh, the competitors ahead of the pack there. Uh, but for the fiat standard mindset around this, do you think moving to a Bitcoin standard would essentially fix this, or do you think there needs to be more education around uh, renewables? Because I I feel like, or I have an inkling that regardless of Bitcoin becomes some sort of backbone of a financial economy, there's always going to be people who say, oh, we need to prioritize government spending on renewables. Uh, I think Bitcoin does fix it all. Yeah, um, it fixes it. Does Bitcoin mining fix renewables being a better source of generation? No, like that's Bitcoin is just a is a is a consumer. It's not an energy storage. So in that article I wrote, if you want to actually fix like as an engineer or inventor or some innovator, you want to fix a wind turbine's uh, utility uh, for humanity, you need to find a way to store its energy. That's the only thing you can do. Uh, Bitcoin mining does. Uh, like I just explained, help alleviate some of the surplus power and stuff. It can, but uh, to truly fix that technology and now make it potentially the true replacement to uh, like fossil fuel electricity generation, then um, you need energy storage. And right now there is nothing um, despite the, 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 well, there's always like a hype around something like they're always trying to sell you something, but despite the hype, Batteries are not the technology. They don't scale properly. They have their own problems, not just on ethics of how they're sourced, but on uh, their actual end-of-life waste and all that stuff. So we don't currently have a scalable energy storage solution. In fact, 
energy storage is the holy grail of engineering. Like if, if anyone comes out, like if it's Elon Musk, if it's, if it's some like great innovator, if you come up with energy storage technology, that's efficient. You will, you will have your name written in, you will be like the next Jesus Christ. Like, you know, like it's that important. It's that important for humanity. And no one is, no one has anything on the radar. It's something I look at all the time. And I, I think I'm a practical engineer. Like I don't get overhyped with the, the, the stuff that they say is the future. I, I look at it from a practical sense and I don't see anything yet. Um, and something like that, um, that truly fixes renewables as soon as it bursts on the scene, if it ever does, uh, you won't have to convince anyone. It'll be so obvious in its, in its, uh, employment. Like it will, it, you don't need to hype it up. It'll just take off like yeah. wildfire, just like engines did. When engines came on the scene, Otto was one of the first guys perfecting the, the auto, you know, the auto cycle, the engine in the late 19th century. I've done a lot of, I like to look at the history of engines and there was a lot of people at the time when a new technology truly takes root, when someone figured out how to turn combustible chemical energy and the pressure generated and turn it into a linear motion and a piston and then a rotary motion, that, uh, that realization and that, and that was quite a long uh, progression of technology actually it took like over a hundred years to get to an internal combustion engine. And when that actually happened, as that was, I should say, as it was happening, it was sort of a slow transition, but once it transitioned, it just entirely changed the entire world, like the entire, entire economy, everything changed in, in a very short amount of time, just like the, the advent of computing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, like uh, renewables aren't close to, uh, we need the energy storage to fix it. Bitcoin doesn't fix it in that sense. What Bitcoin does fix is it fixes the economic, um, call it, and the social, maybe socioeconomic pressures that are currently causing the massive misallocation of capital in our society. And I would argue, and I have argued, that these massive solar projects and these massive wind projects actually represent a massive misallocation of capital in society and therefore waste resource waste bitcoin does fix that because bitcoin as you know will as most listeners know you are we're all very careful with how we spend our bitcoin okay i spend my bitcoin in business every single day just about i, I pay bills every every other day in bitcoin uh, i hesitate to pay the bitcoin i want to hold it i want to hold it as long as possible because i know it could depreciate right i want to defer that investment and so it, it, it has this natural effect as, you know, uh, safety and many other Austrian style economists have argued, and I don't need to reiterate here. It just gives everyone a lower time preference. It makes us choose better projects. And I can guarantee you when, it, when Bitcoin kills the money printing machine, um, you just won't have the same misallocation of capital in these projects, like, like in the case of wind. And wind will go back to where it needs to be. Uh, which is for the boats, for the sailboats, and for the birds. Actually, joking aside, like wind and solar <laughs> has a place in the market. It's just not at the scale they're forcing it. Is is my point? Yeah. No, I think the the point that I like the most you just made was Bitcoin is not a battery. It's all over Twitter. People saying that over and over again. But there's nothing okay. stored. I mean, yeah, they say like you it's know. it's it, the the meme went from yeah. battery. It yeah. went from stored energy to now it's stored financial energy and stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's like, I yeah, okay, it, but... spin it any way you want. But in the end, it's a consumer. It's just a consumer. Yeah. That energy is dissipated and heat is is dissipated to the entropy is created, right? No, you got to get the the little phrases in there to get people in. So this, just like progressing along the article here, I'm yeah. wondering if this actually was the part you got the most blowback for, which is the regulatory pressure these mega mines can face. I have an inkling that you might have gotten the most blowback there, and I'm wondering if that's true. This is the most important part of the article uh, and the most important point. And I don't think a lot of people care right now because we're not in a situation yet where we're things are, you know, we're in a pinch where things are getting bad yet. But, you know, like my goal is to think about what's coming and, and as everyone's goal, I'm trying to plan for it. Right. And I'm trying to position myself. Okay. What's happening in, in five years? Well, I want to be ready for that. I do it all the time with our product. Like I ha- I'm working on new products, excuse me, that I think might be the future of Bitcoin mining. So I'm, I'm trying to build into that. Um, so when it comes to the regulatory thing, you know, currently it's not too big of a problem, but it, I see it as becoming a bigger problem. And I guess there's a few points I was trying to make. Um, and I, because I have a background in oil and gas, I guess I could even relate it to oil and gas because a lot of what, a lot of how oil and gas has progressed over this last even couple of decades is exactly how I expect Bitcoin mining to progress. Um, Texas, because uh, we talk in Texas, um, Texas oil and gas is a lot different than Alberta oil and gas. Let's let, for one, uh, Texas oil and gas. Aside from there's there's and and I'll relate this to the regulatory stuff, but in Texas oil and gas, there's a lot of uh, mom and pops, uh, family owned oil companies, uh, small business oil companies, uh, small groups of people getting together, getting some wells. In Canada, that's very rare. Uh, it's very difficult now. And the difference, the only difference, it's not technology. Uh, in fact, we export a lot of technology from up here, just like you guys do from down there. Uh, it's not technology that's holding us back. It's not pricing uh, in terms of fundamental drilling a well, completing a well. It's regulation. Uh, regulation and, and a lot of different uh, uh, nuance around royalty uh, setups and mineral rights. but. Um, the difference is regulation. So, and I'm going to relate this to mining because in Texas, you can go, I, like, I feel like if I, as someone who loves oil and gas and I, I know the technology, I could probably go start a little company in Texas, uh, with very little outside capital and make a go of it. I might not become a big company, but I bet you I could go, uh, you know, pick through some properties or drill, find a good, a good opportunity and, and make a go of it. In Canada, it's very, very difficult. You have to, there's all these rules, these massive fees, massive permitting fees, massive uh, stuff I won't bore everyone with, but the cost just to get started requires you to effectively, like if I want to go do it, which I actually do, I'm trying to do that um, if I ever get time, but I'm trying to do this up in Canada. I pretty much am forced to, unless I'm very wealthy, I'm almost forced to get a lot of investors and just to overcome the regulatory hoops there's so many regulatory hoops and they're only getting worse like they're only adding more hoops so my comment like what i'm trying to sort of warn the world about i guess like in this article partly in this article and then just generally on twitter and generally and other stuff i write is the regulations bitcoin has been reasonably free market uh since it started 
it's been very low regulated or uh, very uh, un call it under regulated or not regulated. They started with exchanges, of course. Uh, exchanges now have lots of KYC requirements, uh, anti-money laundering uh, rules. And, you know, for the best, I guess, I think there's, there's some arguments to be made there. But Bitcoin mining has been generally left alone. Uh, mining pools have generally not had to KYC their customers uh, and all this other stuff. And what I'm seeing, and that's sort of what I'm like alluding to, is that there are things that are happening, and a lot of these big miners, uh, if I am going to straight up criticize them, are sort of trying to usher in regulations. And it's like, how do you blame them, right? They're huge. They got billions in capital. If they can keep competition at bay by surrounding, cloaking themselves in regulatory hoops and, and sort of like the Coinbase, where my understanding is Coinbase had, you know, they had a sort of a an advantage relative to other exchanges, especially in the early days, by something to do with the New York license. And they, they were able to navigate that. Whereas, you know, me and you, we want to go start an exchange. Yeah, like good luck uh, getting through all those hoops and doing it and competing with Coinbase. Because there's really no reason why uh, a small group of people uh, couldn't create the software and have the banking uh, backing to just go compete with Coinbase. There's just a ton of regulatory hoops. Same with uh, oil and gas. There's a ton of regulatory hoops in certain jurisdictions, especially Canada. Mining, I expect it to come as well. So there's going to be more regulatory hoops. And think about it like this. Like, I mean, mining permits, maybe. Uh, anything above a certain scale, oh, you got to apply to a permit process. Now you need to wait six months. So that's time you've lost and money because, you know, it costs money uh, to wait. Um, permits, licenses, licensing fees royalties every coin you mine you might have to pay some to the to the gods above uh, all this stuff and i'm criticizing like i would i will criticize these big miners for they almost it's almost like they're openly embracing it like uh and many of these people i know very personally and we're like friends but they you know and so like i don't want to name too many names but i mean people know who i'm talking about like there's the big miners there's the big pools I mean, I criticized Foundry today on Twitter, uh, constructively, of course, because I'm always trying to be constructive in criticism, I'm not trying to bash anyone. And everyone's actually just doing what's best for themselves. But you know, they're they're talking about they're they're basically they know where all their their uh, and most pools would know this through IPs and stuff. But they're they know where all the mining's happening, and they're publishing where it's all happening, and they're revealing information. And I just don't think this is a good trend, like surveillance of mining uh regulation of mining because in the end regulation uh while it can be sort of a uh built on good intentions uh it could it could be very devastating to the market especially the small guys and i can i'm personally invested in the small guys uh not only because i uh, think the small guys there's a big market for that to grow uh and, and i'm not not investing in the big guys i build Bitcoin mines for some big guys too, but it's more so I see the future being distributed with a lot of small hash power, small mines. And so I'm worried about these regulations that are being ushered in. And I don't like to see these big companies. I'll, the, one I'll, the, one I'll, the one I will point out and beat up is Marathon. Uh, they went through, they got a lot of shit actually from a lot of people uh, when they were talking about, you know, clean blocks 
um, OFAC compliance, um, you know, KYC miners, all this stuff. And it's, it's sort of antithetical to what Bitcoin represents. And so that's, that's the, it's almost the most important point of, of what I'm trying to say is like the ushering in of re regulatory frameworks that really have no need, like, cause there's not really, I don't think anyone can really make an argument that anyone's being harmed right now. So like, it, there's really no need for it. And so really it's just the cloak for them to cut out competition is what I'm arguing. That and the other aspect of it is the, the other criticism I have generally on these big minds is that regulators can easily capture them. Uh, right. Um, so when they do usher in regulations and maybe the one, maybe the regulations are brutal. Maybe it's something like uh, mining pools must know the customer else you can't mine in the pool. And, you know, eventually you like, you must tell, tell us like us, the authorities where everyone is. Um, big mines cannot hide from that. I did a whole talk on that in Vietnam a few years ago. Like, like if you cannot hide your mine, uh, you are fundamentally gonna gonna have to uh, yield to any authority that says you have to do something. And so, for the Bitcoin network as a whole, for people that are worried about actual 51% attacks, stuff like that, uh, these big mines don't actually secure against that because uh, the most likely entity to attack Bitcoin is the entity that owns the money printing machines. And they're going to be the most likely to say, okay, uh, we're going to put brutal regulations on this. And it's going to start with you guys like Windstone, you know, Marathon, like you mentioned, Lancium might be doing big stuff in Texas, like all these big guys, you're going to, they're going to be the first ones to comply. The first ones to usher in regulations and keep competition away. And the first ones to censor the entire network, whether it's just censoring certain UTXOs from ever getting mined or, or what, I mean, but that's, I think that's just all natural progression though. As much as I'm like worried about it and I talk about it, I do believe this is just the natural progression of the market and where things are going to go. Um, it's going to, it's sort of, we're leading up to a, a battle of like free market money, Bitcoin versus captured market money, which is fiat. And we're, we're sort of, Bitcoin has been sort of under the radar and it's slowly growing up. It's quickly growing up now. And it's like a young adult is about to challenge. It's like a young alpha lion is about to challenge the old lion. And I think it's going to get a little nasty. Um, and I just hope that, at least for my sake, I hope my customers uh, survive and <laughs> we stay in business, right? Like that—that's part of it. There's there's the there's the self interest aspect to all this as well. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of a conversation I had two weeks or three weeks ago with Shinobi, who's a a Bitcoin skeptic, or uh, he's a Bitcoiner, but he he likes to contrarian, give his maybe. contrarian opinions. Yeah, there you go. It's better than skeptic. Yeah, <clears throat> and he had a similar point that he's not a big fan of hosting, and so he even took some shots at Compass. And I thought they were well measured. And I I think I have some problems with uh, the way that mining is set up right now as well. But I think it just comes down to incentives, right? Like, show me your incentives, and I can see where you're going to go. And that's where Bitcoin is at right now. The incentives are just like you laid out in this article, mean that people need to put everything in these giant mines that can definitely be censored. Or definitely be taken over by uh, the government when they want it to happen. Uh, so just to bounce the ball back in your direction, can Bitcoin change enough to protect itself? Or is there too much self-interest on one side right now with these large public miners? And even more so from that, you know, Bitcoin is an open protocol. So 
if something needed to change to protect that, would you be in favor of that? Or is that like the last case nuke only option that you wouldn't want to touch it even if you had to? Yeah, that's a that's there's a lot to that last question. Um, like changing the protocol, I wouldn't change the protocol for any political reason whatsoever. If you change the protocol for anything political, whether it's like preemptively changing the proof of work because it's being attacked, or even if it is being attacked and changing the proof of work, you've literally just destroyed it forever. Like the second you do it for political reasons, uh, and we could do a whole podcast on that. um, So I won't get into that too much. But the I'm not worried about Bitcoin at all. Like, uh, I mean, I have no worries about the future of Bitcoin under the current what I at least personally see and 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 worry about that is happening on the regulatory side. Not at all. It doesn't. I'm not worried about Bitcoin whatsoever. Um, favorite uh, Bitcoiner of mine, uh, sort of controversial guy, Eric Boskiel, wrote a lot of work that uh, taught me about this whole aspect. Which, which is why the, why the state, why the government, why the money printing apparatus would attack Bitcoin, how it'll attack Bitcoin. And I think a lot of people got it wrong. Like I, I don't personally expect uh, the government to ever 51% attack Bitcoin. It makes no sense. If you're in the government shoes, why spend so much cost doing that? Um, or at least why not, why not um, put regulations in that make it difficult to use, that segregate the market between a white market and a black market? So that the vast majority of the population doesn't want to be associated with it because it's it's maybe illegal to in certain applications and that's a black market use and that'll all of a sudden you know it creates it actually creates quite an interesting dynamic because then the black market use cases demand a premium in terms of like getting mined like if it's your if you have a say you have a UTXO that's tainted with some kind of what they deem illegal activity. And you somehow have this UTXO, maybe you're the guy that did something illegal. I mean, you're going to try to transact with this thing. Maybe everyone's censoring it, but eventually you pay a high enough fee, some miner somewhere is going to mine it and it's going to, tra- it's going to, it's going to confirm. So these, these regulatory rules, the funny thing is, this is why I'm not at all, I'm not bearish at all on the future of Bitcoin. I think the state and the, I think the government, the powers that be, the people that want it, like who I who I loosely call the fiat maximalists, because I don't actually, I'm not against the government and Bitcoin. I'm more so, I'm more so against the money printers. So the people that print the fiat, uh, the fiat maximalists, like the people that benefit the most from fiat, uh, they don't want Bitcoin to succeed because if it succeeds, it kills their golden goose. So I think you know what we're going to see is how they deal with it. How do they deal with it? They're the ones that are going to lobby and and get regulations difficult regu- uh, regulations in. But the reason I'm not at all bu- uh, bearish about it, and I'm super bullish on it not mattering at all to Bitcoin, uh, like the whole honey badger don't give a fuck meme, you know, honey badger don't care, care meme, is because uh, anything you do to try to censor Bitcoin creates arbitrage. It creates a trade. It creates a valuable trade. And, you know, you ban, uh, I don't know, you ban a certain uh, use case like a, uh, you ban mixing, okay, randomly. You ban mixing. Say mixing's illegal. Well, someone's going to figure out how to do it privately. And all of a sudden, the people that are able to keep doing it privately will pay more money to do it and get it done privately. So, like, whatever you ban, the pressure of it to become profitable for those who need it just goes up. You censor my transactions, I will pay more fees to get it confirmed. So someone's going to confirm it eventually. I'll eventually pay 
the entire value in fees just to move that coin. You know, if it's one Bitcoin and no one will let me move it because no one will mine it, eventually a solo miner will mine that thing. And because I paid, you know, half a Bitcoin in fees to get it moved. So it's called the fee premium. And that concept, which is sort of like pure and technical on the base layer, can be sort of extrapolated to any aspect of the economy on any kind of like uh, anything that's being regulated. I want to circle back to Marathon as we're start closing the conversation here because you said the the bottom of your article that you're actually pretty optimistic which Always. i think i am an optimist uh, <laughs> yeah, i come off as a pessimist sometimes but i'm an optimist <laughs> well uh, i i think the marathon example is actually a really cogent one here because uh marathon obviously was censoring transactions at one point with the ofac list basically for listeners they would not include utxos from addresses that were listed by OFAC as pertaining to like terrorism or drugs or other illicit activity. So Marathon was just taking a preemptive step saying, hey, we, we're not, we don't want to be involved with this. We don't want OFAC to come and look over our shoulders. So we're not gonna, going to include those transactions uh, in those blocks. And that got a ton of blowback from the Bitcoin community, obviously, because no one was telling them to do it. They just decided to do it preemptively. And then more so than that, Bitcoin is Bitcoin's for everybody. But they yeah. decide they decided not to do it after a while, right? They they moved back from that for position now. for now. So maybe yeah. I want to get your take on that because my take on that would be that's pretty optimistic that Bitcoin is such a strong culture that they were able to influence Marathon enough to move away from that decision. Uh, but maybe you have a different take on that, so I want to hear it. Uh, it's you know. With a long-term view, which we both have and most listeners have, like this kind of thing where you have big companies, well-funded like Marathon come in and try to do these things, it's going to be endless. It's endless. Like it'll never end. Um, the whole SegWit 2X UASF debacle of 2016, 2017, or 2015, 2016, that's going to come again. There's going to be political uh, attacks on Bitcoin. In fact, they're probably going to be the most... Uh, significant attack vectors more so than like energy attacks or hash rate attacks like but actual political uh like development attacks like in like installing uh developers with uh either openly overtly malicious intent or brainwashing them uh there's all kinds of ways they can do it funding them actually that's why uh, i've been criticized about i've criticized funding development in the past because i think it 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 creates a poor incentive um so like Marathon, yeah, they're, they came, they, so what Marathon's doing and what I was trying to, I was trying to, and I, you know, I, I, I wasn't really picking on Riot. I was using Riot's facility as an example. I like the Riot team and I like all that. I don't like the Marathon team. I think they're uh, for wanting to do these things because what they're clearly doing blatantly in the open is just brown nosing to regulators. They're just, they're just, they're like, regulators like aren't even noticing anything and they're saying, come over here. And look at this and put these rules in place. This will help us and kill our competition. That's exactly what I was talking about earlier. That OFAC compliance thing, no one wants that. Like Nobody needs that. Uh, the market doesn't need it. There's no one being harmed. Um, and that's not going to do anything good for the market. What it does is it creates the regulatory moats. It creates the hoops that the little guys can't navigate. Because you got to remember, right? Like regulation, um, what, no matter what industry you're in, like, you know, if you're if you're a startup company, you're doing your best just to figure out your core product. You're not you don't have time to figure out all the rules. And as long as you're not doing anything fundamentally immoral or unethical or inhumane or something, 
let let these people be and do their business. I mean, you know, because I'm a I'm more so like I want small government, small regulation, and these regulations ushering in regulations been like, hey, come to the door, like come come over here, like we're gonna do we're gonna censor UTXOs. There's no need for that. Like there there never has been a need for that. But that's what they that and and yeah, they, there's a lot of blowback, and so they backed off of it for now. Uh, but that's just for now. Like they're going to come right back at it. Um, and eventually they'll have more of a, uh, uh, call it legislative basis. Like they'll have something, uh, things will probably progress to the point where that's required. Um, but there's also the technical aspect. Is it even possible? Because mining pools are just servers and, and like, how do you truly regulate a server as opposed to a custodian, um, like a, like a mining exchange? So there's certainly lots of arguments against it from a technical standpoint, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that I am very critical of and I, I would like to see less of is, uh, and certainly less people supporting it, um, such as why, why invest in a company like Marathon if they're going to do these kind of things. And why are you optimistic? Just to close out the article and, and the conversation here. Uh, I'm optimistic because none of this matters. Like none of what I'm talking about, it only matters to me and you and the other guy who wants to run a business uh above board right like and i'm i'm already ahead of a lot of little miners like i've been doing this for years i have i have about 50 employees now we have a pretty big little company i can't really afford to go like pay all these like people to navigate regulations but like i'm not that big but you know the little guys that are starting like some some of which are my customers uh, i don't want to see these regulations put them out of business because it's bad for me uh, it's not bad for Bitcoin. I'm still going to find a way to use it. Uh, everything that becomes illegal, like technically, I won't be doing that, right? You won't be doing that because we're we're good we're good young men and we're not going to disobey the law. But um, it's not going to stop anything. Like it's not going to stop Bitcoin. That's exactly what it's designed to do. I wouldn't be optimistic if I thought there. And and I would say the only thing I'm worried about, which I think every Bitcoiner should be worried about, is surveillance. And that's like you know, uh, surveilling anything where there's KYC stuff, I, surveilling IP addresses, surveilling at all levels of the internet. And that's why, you know, Matt O'Dell, guys like that, uh, Shinobi is a big privacy advocate. Uh, the people that build mixers, the people that do anything that enhances privacy. Uh, a lot of it, you see technology software projects in the, um, in the transaction space, like wallets and all this. I'd like to see a bit more on the mining side, for example. It's not that easy to mine solo on your own node. And there's nothing more private than mining solo on your own node. And I was talking to people about that today, like in Telegram. I'm like, where is the software for me to go just do this at home uh, on my own node? Like, I don't know how to do it because I'm not a programmer. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I hunt and peck on the keyboard. I'm that kind of guy. So like, you know what I mean? So like, I can't figure that out. I don't have the time to figure that out. I want that software. I want that privacy mining software and no one has it. Not that I would use it that often, but it's just another tool that if I wanted to use it or I needed to use it uh, or the regulations came in and forced people to use it, then it's there. And so I think the most important thing in the space is the privacy aspect, combating surveillance, combating chain analysis. Um, and so I support all that deeply. But even though there are flaws and you know there's stuff we're still trying to figure out as a collective, like how do we improve our privacy using Bitcoin? I haven't seen a single argument, technically or otherwise, 
convince me that they have any uh, tools to stop us, like to stop Bitcoin from just proliferating all over the globe. So I'm super, super optimistic. Super bullish take to end the conversation. We can leave it there. Thanks for joining us on the podcast again, Steve. Yeah, anytime. Thank you.